0: week's episode made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i-bankonline.com.
1: Good morning, Memphis. Welcome to your first episode of Meanwhile in Memphis of 2022. I'm here with my co-host, Christy Mullen. Good morning,
0: Christy. Good morning, guys.
1: Meanwhile, Memphis is a project of New Memphis. We are a local nonprofit that is working to make Memphis magnetic for leaders, working to make sure that we're connecting folks who are making change in our community. And about a year ago, a little over a year ago, we started doing this radio show and podcast to highlight great local innovators. um, Again, leaders just in every corner of our community who are working to push our city forward and today is no exception. Um, it's been a minute, Christy. I feel like I've not recorded uh, an episode in, I don't know, a few months. Did
0: you haven't sure? recorded in a while. We did our favorite things over the holidays and then we've actually have had one episode. This is your first episode of 2022. Is um, that right? Yeah, <laughs> so you were like kicking it off brand new. You probably feel like a little newborn baby deer like you're trying to figure uh, out how to get your legs. I feel a little legs. awkward here behind
1: my <laughs> microphone. It's um, like it's
0: your first episode my voice is just now coming back guys so you won't hear me quite be as verbose as I'm annoyingly it can be on this <laughs> show. The end of the
1: year is a uh, challenging time at New Memphis um, an exciting time there you go um, but it's we're we're closing out the yes. year we're planning for the next year um, I would like to pause and thank everybody who made a generous donation to New Memphis yes. to close out 2021 We are so grateful for you. We could not do any of our work, including create this excellent podcast content for you. Um, So I was uh, a busy bee trying to get (laughs) all of that finished and then um, being a very lazy bee. Um, In the last two weeks of the year, taking some time off. Did you take some vacation time, Christy, at the end of the
0: year? I did. I felt like I have a very big family who loves the holidays. And so I feel like that first week we're off. New Memphis is very generous to us guys. And we get a two-week break um, during the holiday season. So I feel like that first week was a lot of going and celebrating and doing all these things and trying to be safe about it because, you know, this this family member doesn't believe in getting vaccinated (laughs) (laughs) So you kind of have to organize yourself, you know, in the right way. And so I felt like it was that. And then, of course, the second week I got a, a cold, not COVID, guys, COVID negative. I somehow come down with a cold and it lasted truly like two weeks. Like my voice has just come back. And so I feel like I rested, but rested in a way that is like that sick rest where you watch nothing but tv most you know what i did i rewatched, and this is embarrassing and i should not admit this because i well, forget please, please admit it into i this forget public I, microphone. exactly i forget that other people can hear me and not just you who i'm looking at i rewatched not one not two but all three seasons of laguna beach okay i do not know what that uh, is you don't uh, you call yourself a millennial um <laughs> So, I'm what they call an old millennial, Christine? <laughs> Laguna Beach was a reality show that was very prime oh, in my it time. Like MTV? Yes, okay, and it was like in the same vein as when The OC was getting very popular. Um, that was an actual scripted show, and so it was just following these high schoolers from Laguna Beach, and it was like a whole thing, and then it transformed to the hills in the city, and all these fun things. And like, I just couldn't have anything playing that my mind would have to actually watch and comprehend. I was like, what is? the most simplest thing I can put on this TV and I saw on TikTok because of course I did this girl is doing like live recaps of Laguna Beach I was like you know what you haven't watched that since a good 6 07 let's just give that a whirl Well, that, um, did it pulled up was Laguna Beach everything that you remember you know it to be? I think it's the nostalgia talking <laughs> But, like, to me, I'm just, like, I remember when I thought these things were, like, the peak of fashion or, like, these kids were just, like, the peak of coolness that I would never, ever be able to achieve. And now watching it back, I'm like, oh. That's pretty dumb. That's pretty – I may be a little cooler. Um, But, no, it was really – it was great. Like, the holiday was restful. I hate that I got sick because I had – if you are me or if you know me in any capacity, which I feel like you guys are all my friends at this point because you hear me every week – I have, like, plans that I like to try to stick to, like, a loose itinerary. And all of those got shot to heck and back. I was like, um, watching three seasons yeah, of
1: Laguna Beach is a like, full itinerary. I'm like, I, I was going to clean article. out my
0: spare bedroom, which I use as storage currently. and none, none of that happened. It was literally just me, my couch, Laguna Beach, and chicken and rice. Mm. Because, you know, we got to keep feeding ourselves even when it's you're sick. It's funny, it,
1: you know, on the front end of two weeks off. I am I'm similar where I'm like, I will do this and uh-huh. that and this and that. And then about halfway through, I was like, I'm going to abandon all of those <laughs> activities to truly just relax. And I needed it. it I feel
0: great. like you had to have, like, you are a movie connoisseur. So I feel like you had to, like, watch some cool things. This is the best cool time things. of year
1: because it is, like, all of the end of year sort of Oscar-worthy consideration. <laughs> It's, it's been really challenging this year in, in particular. It's just hard to see stuff. So, yeah. like, some of the stuff that I was hearing about, like, from film festivals, mm-hmm. like, 6, 9, 12 months ago, finally Became were Became available, yeah. There's still yeah. plenty of things that aren't. But, yes, I, um, I watched too many movies. I do not consider, it, like, there's what I call, like, passive viewing, which is something like we mm-hmm. do in a beach to so just, pardon the pun, washes you over you. You just need it, yeah. Like It's a reality life, TV, yeah. some things that you have to, like, actively engage in. So, I feel like watching the movies that I got through, I was, like, really putting it I feel like you put in some, really work. in some work i end a day and be like well I feel really accomplished <laughs> all right well um I'm so thrilled to be back I'm so yeah. like I, I am such a goober about the new year like I just get a lot of energy just the sense of
0: like the can, sense of hope try yes. again
1: and let's see what we can get done this year it's
0: the proverbial reset so I'm
1: excited about 2022 I'm excited to be here uh back in the studio which is a joy and today we have Some of my truly my favorite people in the city Mm -hmm. um so our first guests are calvin anderson um who i will call out is a past new memphis board member is a current member of our uh board of governors so is a a a friend a thought partner truly just a joyous person that I adore, um, and he is going to be in the studio with Karanja Ajanakiu, who um, both of them are representing the Tri-State Defender. Um, if you are not familiar with the Tri-State Defender, and an absolutely incredible organization, um, it is a uh, story, and they're going to talk about its history, Seven Decades in the Community um, publication that is uh, focused on covering the African-American community and the greater Memphis community um, and beyond. Um, So uh, both of them have been associated with the publication. Karanja um, has been the executive editor for a number of years, is also an associate publisher. And Calvin Anderson was a board member for over a decade and is now um, also really working behind the scenes um, as helping on the publishing side and on the business side of things. So they're going to give us an update. I'm excited to talk to them. Um, If you are not a reader, you should be. And I imagine by the end of this episode, you will be. And then our second guest um, is another past New Memphis board member, current Board of Governors member. We did not do that on purpose, but just a a longtime friend, advocate, um, one of the most brilliant leaders um, in her community. And I'm so (laughs) glad. We have Dr. Russ Wigginton in the office today. He is the new president of the National Civil Rights Museum, started in that role back in August of 2021 and has truly hit the ground running um he shares some big big vision and exciting new stuff coming for the national civil rights museum and we're excited to be honoring their work and giving you guys a window into what's next um as we're all here celebrating in the wake of uh mlk day so without uh lingering too much shall I, we get into I it i was about to
0: say let's roll it's gonna be a good one
1: all right let's uh, get calvin and karanja in here <laughs>
0: All right, guys, we are here with Calvin and Karanja in the studio. How are you, gentlemen?
2: Doing great, doing great. Great, great to be here with That's
0: you. what we love to hear in this cold weather we're having. Um, so we just want to first, let's start off congratulating you guys. The Tri-State Defender is celebrating 70 years.
2: Yes, well, I'm 66 years old, so that's uh, that's quite a, <laughs> a, a bit of uh, time. We're, uh, we're excited about it. You know, longevity has its place. Uh, and um, we are glad to keep it going but it's been a it's not just a length of time mm-hmm. you know it, it means that we've been continually doing something over a period of time a lot of it right I think uh, and what we're out to do is to, uh, to serve the community so we're we're most happy that we've been doing that for 70 years
1: for those who are not familiar with the tri-state defender or have seen it about have maybe read an article or two but don't know the full scope of both the history as you noted but The mission of the publication. Tell us, what is the Tri-State Defender, and why is it so important to the Mid-South community?
2: Well, I'll keep going. Um, We came into being in November of 1951, so you can just sort of go back and see that time, right? I mean, that's three years before Brown uh, versus uh, Topeka Board of Education. That's four years before um, the Montgomery Bus Boycott. So you can see that that time frame. And so African American people were um, in need of being able to communicate amongst themselves about what was going on uh, during that time. And so there was a uh, Robert Singstack, or John Singstack, rather, uh, got together with some people in Memphis and uh, they decided that there was a need for another publication that spoke more directly uh, to that for African American people. And uh, the Chicago Defender was our parent company at that time. And so, Mr. John Singstack uh, decided to uh, answer the call and they started the newspaper here uh, so that we would have a way to talk to ourselves about the things that we needed to talk to ourselves about, things that are happening outside, but also internally. And not just things that are happening, but a lot of it is achievement. You know, part of growth and development is you need to be able to have a mirror to be able to see what you're doing well. Uh, and so the Tri-State Defender continuously over time has been able to sort of hold that mirror up uh, to itself and to the people outside to see what we're doing um, so that we can can grow. And that's really mm-hmm. what, what, what life is about.
3: Yeah, And as, as Dr. K talks about that, that growth and that mirror, we think in terms of that it's one thing to sort of make yourself relevant in whatever the contemporary space is at that moment, as it pointed out for what the contemporary space was in 51. But also Tri-State Defender becomes a great archival piece, that it establishes Mm -hmm. an official record of what was going on, positive and negative, and gives sort of uh, (coughs) an insight into uh, African-American community, which sometimes get overlooked for just the things that might be headlined.
2: And one of the great things about the seventieth anniversary is that we've had a chance to really go back and look at the history and look at the archives. And so that's been a really great joy. And so sort of what I saw, part of what I saw there, is just how much the Tri State Defender was involved with the developments of the day. The different editors, you could I found photos of them right in these meetings, these organizing meetings that are that are going on. And and then down down the line in the in the sixties when there was Integration of libraries and schools and things of that sort. The Tri State Defender wasn't just covering it, it was actually involved uh, with Mm. the evolution of that. And in fact, at one time, the entire uh, Tri State Defender editorial board found itself um, on the wrong side of the law, so to speak, uh, as it was taking a stance about uh, desegregation practices. It's
1: fascinating. So, obviously, the last decade or so has been a very um, transformative time in media and journalism. I'm curious, you know, with seven decades under the Tri-State Defenders belt, for the, especially during your leadership and Calvin, your um, incoming leadership for the last few years, what have been your biggest challenges and opportunities as you've been thinking about this shifting landscape and how to continue to both be, uh, you know, the force for good, um, to be relevant, to reach your audiences?
2: Yeah, let me speak first to the idea about uh, relevancy, okay, because the, the way that I look at it is that, you know, human beings, we have to have information to be able to, to be at our best, right, and so you need multiple sources of information, and you need to be able to learn how to, to uh, contrast and compare things, and so you need multiple vehicles out there providing information, and so to that degree alone, You know we're 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 essential but also we're essential in the sense that you can't really replicate the tri-state defender you you can have other news organizations but we're the only ones that i know of um, that can tell our story from the inside Mm -hmm. out Uh, and there's and it it doesn't matter what your story is but when you can tell your story from the inside out there's a value there Uh, and so to that degree you know we're not only are we relevant I mean, the relevance is not even a question. It's, it's, uh, it's an ongoing sort of uh, part of life. In terms of the, the changes, I mean, when I started in the business in 1977, you know, I worked, I came out of the University of Missouri, and I thought I'd be a football player. And that's, <laughs> that's what I got hired at the, not a not football player, but I, I, when that didn't work out, um, I decided to be a, a journalist. So I got hired at the Commercial Appeal to uh, be a, a sports uh, reporter. And uh, I worked there for 26 years, and I always tell Calvin 26 years, six months, three weeks, and two days. <laughs> you can but make, who's counting? You can make out of that what you want. Oh my uh, gosh. But but no, really, I, that um, really was a transformative mm-hmm. part of uh, part of my life. So I'm I'm really glad of that. But so when I came in, I can remember the very first day at the Commercial Appeal. <clears throat> we had uh, a, a system. I came in into University of Missouri. We would. Cut our paper up and then we paste it and, and then we were, you know we turn it in so the very first day i wrote my story and i was all excited about it and i turned it in all patched up and everything they said what well, what are you doing so we don't do that here they had some scanner system or something. <laughs> <that>. <laughs> well my point is that technology keeps changing mm-hmm. you know and we have to make the adjustments to it and and we've been um working hard to do that i mean in this day and age you can't just be a weekly newspaper right? I mean, you've got to be a a 24-7, seven-day-a-week vehicle in some form. And so that's what we're doing. We work really hard in terms of our social media um, and uh, the different kinds of ways to get out the information. A lot of our people get to us primarily through Facebook first, Mm -hmm. you know, and so we know that. And so we've had to put energy, time, resources. Thank the board of directors so much for Best Media for what they've been able to do to, to put us in a position to do that. And these are trying times. I mean, a lot of papers have made it. They just have not been able to make the transition in terms of, um, you know, the challenges that are out there. But we've been able to do that and I think uh, keep hitting the mark. Mm-hmm.
3: And Anna, you know the journalism and media game very well, having cut your teeth in the early stages <laughs> of it in uh, We've been fortunate to, one, have the kind of talent
0: mm-hmm. that is
3: necessary, led by uh, Dr. Karanja Janaku and the uh, team of journalists and photojournalists that he's assembled and managed uh, each day. We've been able to take that content and make it a weekly print, but a daily digital. And we've been Mm -hmm. able to exercise use of technology so that we're able to go online with uh, tsdmemphis.com, that we're able to be Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, so that we are communicating, talking to, and engaging with the new generation of subscribers and readers of Tri-State Defender by whatever modem and mean that they utilize.
1: Yeah, I think you guys are doing a fantastic job. And I I feel like there's a, an undersung part of, uh, something to celebrate in the Memphis community is that we have managed to find sort of innovative ways to, to create and foster community-based news. Hmm. And in a city, composed as Memphis as having a black press here feels essential um, and knowing that many cities our size markets that are similar to us no longer have those kinds of again kind of grassroots local news sources and I you know in addition to as you said having people who are here talking about not just national or global issues but really focusing on things that are important to African Americans in the Mid-South um, I'm curious if or how you guys collaborate with, or feel like you're part of this ecosystem of other, what I would call, you know, non-traditional or um, different kinds of formats and media from um, MLK 50 and the Daily Memphian, Chalkbeat, like other sort of interesting um, journalistic efforts that are trying to do that sort of grassroots reporting here in Memphis.
2: Well, first of all, I applaud all of them and mm-hmm. uh, for what they're for what they're doing and. You know there's professional uh, interplay but i think that um, you know what we've been doing lately is looking for ways that we might uh, cross work with each other Mm -hmm. Um, most recently we did some work with wkno Mm. um, and i did a piece where i worked with them on interviewing russell wigginton the head of that and we did some cross work on that and um, also the grandson of one of our uh, Um, editors uh, L Alex Wilson is now a member of the uh, Memphis Symphony Orchestra and so WKNO we worked with WKNO where we did a piece that appeared both in in the new Tri-State Defender and on WKNO so I think that um, we saw that that was in best of uh, uh, the best interest of both of our audiences and I think we'll be looking for more ways that we can work Crossways,
3: and and we run features from uh, from Chalkbeat as well as from high ground Mm -hmm. within uh, Mm our publications, and uh, Karanja appears uh, on a frequent basis uh, with the uh, uh, with the uh, daily Memphian uh, presentations on WKNO Mm -hmm. uh, uh, beyond the headlines.
2: I think that one of the things that may happen. later this year depending upon how this whole pandemic thing works you know because everybody's having to make constant adjustments about that but I was on a a show not long ago with uh, Otis Sanford and our deputy editor Mr. Wright and uh, Wendy Thomas and so we were talking and I I just brought back up that right before the pandemic um, there were a group of us from the different uh, mediums had gotten together uh, including the commercial appeal MLK 50 myself uh, just a number of different people we met a couple of restaurants and this was really wendy's um, move but the idea was to to create a way to start having conversations that would move us toward maybe working on some ongoing story project they do that in other mm-hmm. cities like in uh, philadelphia you know, in particular and they'll find a particular story that they're going to focus on uh, and to so, to some degree, they share information, but they go at it from different angles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we we were talking about that before the pandemic hit, and then everybody trying to figure out how do you stay in business and keep going, right? So uh, I think that uh, we met not long ago on, on that WKNO show, and we talked about um, looking for the very first opportunity to see if we could um, start that conversation again. And I think that'd be good for Memphis, because there are some really, some really serious ongoing issues here that uh, I think could... Um, benefit in terms of moving toward a solution by having uh, more of a, a link between the different mediums
1: yeah absolutely I I, I know and under one light you can see all of those folks as competing but um, I feel like the winner here is the community because the more journalists we have covering local issues the better That's right. so as the executive editor tell us when you approach an issue a, a week a day what kinds of stories are you guys looking for are you prioritizing how do you sort of think about your editorial priorities?
2: yeah so when I look at it when I think about it I mean people function in terms of you know church, home school community government politics and so I sort of have that that prism and so then I'm, I'm looking you know around that way to see what's what's going on right uh, and so I have a, a bank of reporters um, that and we have all pretty much all freelance reporters, but we've been really f- fortunate because we have a core of people that have been with us for a while. And so then I sort of know uh, who can do what in these different kinds of ways. And so that's that's the way that I, I go at it generally. But the the thing is that well, I told somebody the other day that we're sort of objective advocacy mm-hmm. is what what we do. We're professionals. Uh, we're trained in terms of how to pro- provide, uh, you know, good, solid news coverage. But we're, we're here f- seriously for the growth and development of the African-American community. So I'm looking at, no matter what the story is, I'm looking for how, what is it that I need to say in, in terms of keeping people up to date? But how can we tell it in a very tri-state defender way that that uh, is going to put people in a better position to get at get at the truth if that? that makes sense absolutely absolutely
1: so calvin i'm curious i always joke with calvin um that he is the busiest retired person (laughs) that (laughs) i've ever met um tell us about your journey i know you were you started as a board member um and i know you've sort of stepped up in a a bigger leadership role and helping on the business side of the publication so tell us what does your week to week look like with the tri-state defender and how just personally what is it that motivated you to pour your time into this publication
3: Anna, thanks for that question. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm trying very hard. As my 2022 mm-hmm. resolution is to be less busy. That's retirement. terrible news for people
1: like me and Karanja. We're like, wait, no.
3: <laughs> but uh, no, we. I was, uh, you know, on the board, and it was a very sort of, uh, you know, light kind of engagement. Uh, And then the unfortunate Mm -hmm. circumstances happened of uh, Bernard Smith passing away suddenly at the end of 17. And that sort of thrust the board into sort of a position of saying, how do we keep uh, a publication going when a lot of it was centered around the energy and the vision of the person that was the president and publisher. Mm -hmm. And so because I was in this retired state, the other board members said, well, you don't have much to um, (laughs) (laughs) do the lead role here. Uh, and there was a lot to sort of unpack, unbundle, and put back together, you know, in any kind of a small business organization, if the lead person goes out, there's a lot of things that are there on the desk, some things in the files and other things within the embodiment of the person. So we were having the standpoint of putting together these three things to try to make sure that we could have a publication to go forward. The good thing about that was, as I've said earlier, we had a great talent in the executive editor, uh, Dr. Karanja Janaku, to lead the content effort. So we could merely focus on the business side of it. And that, you know, is a continuation (laughs) as we have gone from, you know, just focus on the print to acceleration on the uh, other technical ends. And we've tried to stay very much involved with uh, our publication, associates in the tennessee press association and in the national newspaper publishers association Mm -hmm.
1: so tell us i mean uh, this will lead me into um, asking how people can help support the publication in addition to reading and subscribing um what is the business model is it like is it purely um ad-based driven or is there a philanthropic component tell us how you make make the books look nice every month thank mm-hmm. you for that question
3: uh, it is mostly advertising and sponsorship driven okay. the sponsorships took a real dive as we went out of physical gathering course because so. that took away some of the events that we did that uh, helped with sponsorship support so it really been on the standpoint of advertising and on the standpoint of subscriptions so you can subscribe to tri-state defender for the Great low price of thirty-five dollars a year, which can be yeah. paid m- either one lump sum or a monthly draft. Uh, you can go to uh, TSDMemphis.com to uh, you know look at the paper online and to subscribe to it online, or you can call Tri-State Defender, uh, you know five two three one eight one eight, and ask to talk with uh, anyone that can work with you on subscriptions. But we rely upon really advertising uh, as a principal standpoint, sponsorship as a secondary, and subscriptions as a third. And then that fourth area of uh, sort of member support, philanthropic support, Uh, you know, we've leaned into that but have not fully leaned into it uh, as we had intended to in 2020, 2021 but we hope now that the environment is better and we can lean back into uh sort of philanthropic support and sponsorship in 2022.
2: and i think too that what would be great in 2022 again depending on how this whole pandemic thing works out is that we intend to have more uh, like specialized content you know so that um, we might you know in the past we've done things on health and things like that and people can do sponsors of that but there are a lot more areas i think that we can get into we sort of pulled back a little bit you know when we dealt with the pandemic but i think we're stable enough now where we're looking to uh, for more areas that we can uh, be able to provide uh, potential advertisers and sponsors ways to uh, reach our uh, consumers more directly with their messages Mm -hmm.
0: Roger, you have such, like, a vast history of journalism behind you. Like, you've covered arts, politics, community endeavors, lots of things. I'm kind of curious, like, what is your—I know this is probably hard. Like, what is your favorite thing, your favorite news to kind of report out to?
2: Well, as I said, I, I started as a sports reporter. Yeah. Right, so I'm going to put that over there and <laughs> <laughs> not compare that uh, to to anything. But I do a lot of uh, uh, editing with and work with our sports mm-hmm. people there. I think for me the main thing is it's it's just telling stories mm-hmm. my dad was a Baptist preacher and and so I, I grew up listening to him helping him with the sermons I think my grandfather probably was my my first journalism teacher in the sense that he used to sit on the front porch and tell stories my grandmother called him lies but there you go <laughs> <laughs> but the point is that I, I learned how to tell stories and I learned the value of telling stories and then uh, the uh, going to the University of Missouri, I learned really how to to get the facts and tell stories uh, in details. And I've been at it long enough to be able to see the value uh, of telling stories. I've seen people's lives change as a result of the stories that I've written. Um, Sometimes I've I've helped businesses that have uh, developed just because of things that we've done. But also tragedy happens. Uh, and how you tell that story and tell people's stories I think that I I remember that I I remember people calling and saying hey I appreciate uh, you helping me um, helping us get through the the grieving of a parent or this that and the other and so I think that's what sticks with me just being able to to tell those stories
0: yes the power the word has right on our communities and those who read it like you make great change happen in our city just by telling people's stories in an authentic way and I think that's pretty awesome
2: (laughs) well it's one of the humbling things about to me about journalism because it is a a, a change uh, agent it's a vehicle Mm -hmm. and when I went to school and as I said I went to be a football player that didn't work out (laughs) and then I I got into campus politics you know the legion of black collegians and and how we're going to change the the, the quality of life for African American people. So when I come to Memphis, um, and then eventually I, I've sort of found myself doing that. The the, the two worlds. I mean, one of the early beats I had was, uh, quote, minority affairs. Mm. Before I grew out of that term, but um, just being able to provide uh, specific information about who we are and how we're how we're evolving uh, as people. So I think that. Um, I know I wouldn't want to do anything else than journalism I, I I've thought about that many times you know I could have in fact I have retired before you know. <laughs> I mean after, I have, after the, my commercial appeal time I actually retired from them and I, I came back you know to work at the Tri-State Defender I, I love it that much but I think that we're in a we're in a great business you know I understand that the difficulties with the business model and everything like that but, but I, as I said from the beginning we're human beings and if you don't get this information I mean good quality information you're going to your behavior is going to going to reflect that you know and so I just think there's a lot that the tri-state defender has to has to do we have to do more we have to do better we're doing a good job but we've got to do more and then when you look at the community and what's going on out here you can tell that that is the case Mm -hmm. and there are some community problems that as Dr. Kate points out we
3: want to be an advocate in addressing but we see ourselves both as the voice of and the voice to. That's because right because there are some, you know, things that we want to engage in around violence and guns that, you know, we think w- the Tri-State Defender has a voice and has a play to where it can be an influence uh, in changing, of course, and curve. And we look to do some of that. As important as the word is, we also know that pictures tell a story. That's right. and mm-hmm. In our last publication of 2021, uh, we had a series of 14 photos, which sort of told the story of what we had covered during the course of the year. And not surprisingly, a lot of that had to do with uh, COVID and the pandemic and uh, some of the unfortunate uh, incidents around shootings and deaths that had occurred. And so as a point of advocacy, we look to take on some of those issues going into 2022.
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I know it's how difficult it is to quantify the impact of Mm -hmm. a publication like this beyond clicks and subscriber numbers. Mm -hmm. But I know that the impact, as you said, it is truly a change agent. You are educating and empowering, giving people access to really a community that they otherwise might not have access to. And I'm sure you've heard tons of anecdotal stories about people's businesses thriving because of this exposure, people being aware of an issue or somebody working on an issue and getting that connection. So I think it's, um, you know, if, if you are not readers or listeners, I should say, currently reading The Tri-State Defender, um, please do seek it out. Tell us one more time where folks can both find the publication, subscribe, or uh, advertise.
3: Uh, one, you can go online at uh, tsdmemphis.com. It can give you all the locations where you can get a physical paper. Two, you can subscribe online where the paper will be delivered to your mailbox, and you can subscribe online for the online version, and that can be completed uh, online as you're working with it. Or you can call, (laughs) 901-523-1818. I
1: like it. Old school. Well, thank you, gentlemen, so much for coming in today. Thank you for your incredible work. I'm very much looking forward to reading the 71st year of the Tri-State Defender. Thank
4: Thank you so much. Thank Thank you.
0: Bye. Bye. All right. Welcome, Russ. How are you?
4: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
0: We're very excited to have you here. You are a very important and busy man. <laughs> but we are before we jump in, I always like to start off the podcast just kind of talking a little bit about, like, who are you? Give the audience an introduction to you and how, you know, you became the president of the National Civil Rights Museum. Sure. Start from birth and work yes, your way all forward. Yes, all the way. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, I will start a little bit from my early years. I was born in Louisville, Kentucky and um, moved to Nashville when I was in junior high school and uh, moved to Memphis for college. I went to Rhodes. Uh, After graduating Rhodes, I worked in the corporate sector in sales and marketing for uh, about four years, four or five years in different parts of the country, in Memphis for a little while, but I also lived in Youngstown, Ohio and Boston. And then I went to graduate school at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign where I studied African-American community and community history. And uh, while I was at the University of Illinois, uh, I got the opportunity to come back to Rhodes as a William Randolph Hearst Fellow while I was working on my dissertation. And that fellowship was set up to be two years. And upon completing that, I was uh, really enjoying my time back at Rhodes and in Memphis and opportunities presented themselves at the college. So that two years has turned into 25 years. (laughs) Um, And 23 of those years were at Rhodes where I taught history early in my career. And when Bill Trout came to Rhodes uh, in 1999, he asked me if I would be interested in serving as his special assistant for community relations. And while I had been involved in the Memphis community prior to his arrival, uh, that position really enabled me to do it in a more intentional way. And so uh, I feel like I really got to know and understand and connect with Memphis as a byproduct of my job and uh, served in uh, some other roles, uh, overseeing uh, career services and grants and foundations and government relations uh, over the next 15 or so years. Uh, left roads uh, in 2019 uh prior to leaving i served two years as the vice president of student life and dean of students which Mm -hmm. was a great way to round out my career there because it enabled me to in many ways return back to the deep connection with students that i thoroughly enjoyed earlier in my career and uh, that gave me a lot of personal fulfillment and hopefully i contributed to uh, helping the culture at the college as it mm-hmm. relates to the, the student life aspect. Uh, I then went to the State Collaborative on Reforming Education, where I served for almost two years, uh, launching their uh, work in post-secondary mm-hmm. th- across the state. And, and Tennessee SCORE is a research advocacy and policy organization that's based out of Nashville. Uh, and then in August of this of <laughs> 2021, I got the honor mm-hmm. of beginning my service as president of the National Civil Rights Museum.
0: How does that feel? Like, it just <laughs> seems like such a cool thing, like, just to casually say, like, I am the president of the National Civil Rights <sighs> Museum, you know?
4: Well, it is a cool thing. It's and so it's, cool. It's a, uh, it is a tremendous privilege. Uh, daily, I'm reminded that... Uh, this this museum is, uh, it belongs to Memphis, but it's also a national treasure. Mm-hmm. And so the interplay between uh, our community and its support and its, its caretaking of the museum, I never take for granted. Uh, but it's also for the country and the world. And uh, we have an obligation to... Uh, really highlight and emphasize social justice and human rights issues and to uh, help people understand the history of that in this country i'm particularly interested in how we take that history and bring it to life if you will in present-day action and education and in appreciation for uh, how our country can can reach its full potential uh, and be its very best and making sure everyone feels like this country uh, and this city is theirs. Uh, They have a uh, equitable place in it uh, and they are important contributors to all that can happen in in this city and in this country.
0: That's a beautiful sentiment. So for those who are listening who, I don't want to say maybe have been hiding under a rock and don't know, but like some people just don't have access. Some people just haven't heard. What is the National Civil Rights Museum, just to level set us? Sure.
4: The National Civil Rights Museum, which just celebrated its 30th year in existence uh, in 2021, uh, is is, is a place, physical place, that has taken the terrible... Uh, death of Dr. King as its location, and try to use that as a way to a place to elevate his message for nonviolence and social justice. Uh, at the same time, it's a place to that has been committed to uh, preserving for educational purposes the history of this country uh, that doesn't always get told and doesn't get told in a comprehensive way even oftentimes when it is told and so it's a it's an it's a tribute uh, and a, a recognition of of so many people uh, and and the sacrifice they made to make this a more equitable uh, society
3: um,
4: and it's it it is committed to presenting a truth and a reality of our past in a way that allows people to enter and engage in it at their discretion. Some people uh, are more familiar than others ab- about that, that narrative and that story. Uh, it should be, in my opinion, an em- emotion emotional uh, experience. It should also be an intellectual experience experience, and I expect, I want every person who experiences the museum to have their head and their heart affected by the experience. And I think it's the interplay between the head and the heart that allows us to think about what we could and should do as individuals to make the world a better place. And when you have a daunting uh, responsibility like that. You have to be intentional about how you engage people. What kind of programming do you have? And where do you channel your, your resources and energies? And that's what I've embarked upon in the first uh, several months of my, of my tenure as president to identify and lift up those places where I think we can be uh, even more relevant in the country and in the world.
1: I know this was a very elegant transition um, for you and for the museum, because obviously you're someone with a a deep well of experience in both um, education, but also community activation and really thinking about how those things are related and knowing that what you learn can inspire you to go and do. Um, I I know you've only been in the role for six months now, so I'm still very fresh, but I'm curious on this journey to um, really establishing the Civil Rights Museum as As the name says a national treasure and a national place of learning and doing tell us what is in the works in 2022 and beyond to continue to develop that presence on a national landscape
4: sure thank you uh, for that question and uh i one of the many benefits i have of already being familiar with this community and with the museum having served on the board for 10 years is uh the ability to to come in and really focus on looking forward. Uh, Terry Freeman and Beverly Robinson did uh, outstanding jobs to situate the museum over the last 30 years such that I'm able to do that. Uh, and uh, with that foundation, with that platform, I think there are really three Major areas for us to uh, lift up, where we can shine and center ourselves as a national player in all of these spaces. And the first one is is probably obvious, and it's in education. Uh, we are uh, first and foremost a educational uh, institution, in my opinion, uh, through a distinctive lens in which we use primary sources and archives and stories to help society understand and appreciate the past. We have uh, high hopes of contributing to and centering ourselves in the conversation around civil rights history and curriculum and methodology and understanding. So we will be working on several projects that I'm very excited about that will Uh, propel us into the national scene around how do you teach civil rights? And when you think about it being rooted through the lens of Dr. King and all that he stood for, the combination of commitment to nonviolence, uh, yet the commitment to uh, uh, not in a passive way, but the commitment to uh, centering the important issues of the day, uh, we, will, we will focus our educational work through that particular lens. I also think an area where we can shine and contribute is through the uh, pillar, if you will, of arts and culture. And that also cap- capitalizes on the richness of the arts and cultural scene that we have in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And I would even say right now in the country, Uh, I think of this particular moment as a, in many ways, as a rebirth Mm -hmm. of the Harlem Renaissance. We are having, in my lifetime, there hasn't been the kind of attention, focus, and recognition of artists of color and appreciation of that. Mm. And when you think about the connection between education and arts and culture, one of the things that I think has been understudied that we are going to lift up is the role arts and culture in the civil rights movement. We so often talk about various situations and marches and, and events in the civil rights movement, but we rarely uh, talk enough about how the arts and culture contributed to the morale, perseverance, and sustainability for those folks who made tremendous sacrifices in years past. So we're going to lift up arts and culture in a distinctive way. And the third pillar I would describe as economic empowerment or mobility. Uh, Dr. King came here uh, primarily for as a result of the death of sanitation workers who did not have the resources for proper burial. That's an economic mobi- mobility issue. It's also a healthcare and health ben- and benefits issue, and so we feel like uh, we have a distinctive opportunity to uh, highlight health equity uh, in the economic empowerment area as a as a launch point, if you will, and the combination of those three dimensions, I believe, give us a framework that we can be nationally relevant in conversations and in action uh, for the future betterment of our country.
1: That's all exciting to hear. And um, in addition to elevating the museum and its brand and its message, I think all of what you just said helps elevate Memphis as a place that is hopefully continuing to be an urban community that is centering and empowering black voices, whether that be in the black arts. We we just earlier in this episode heard from uh, Karanja and Calvin Anderson um, talking about the Tri-State Defender, but just really embracing, um, you know, embracing the reality that Memphis can be, should be a community that is driven by the power and creativity of our black citizens. So it's exciting to hear. You know we of course are here talking um the day after mlk day i know it's a big day for you guys at the museum it's a big week um tell us a little bit about just functionally how you guys mark that day um what you would encourage listeners who are in the memphis community um, in addition to going to visit the museum which if you have not been in a minute um it is a such a powerful experience but what else um does the community uh, does the museum offer the community uh in ways of sort of honoring Dr. King's vision and helping people continue to live into it.
4: Yes, uh, MLK Day obviously is important for this community, but it's also a pause for the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, A day of reflection, a day of recognition, a day of acknowledgement, uh, a day of appreciation. But I would encourage people to uh, and remind people that it's also a day for um, uh, analysis that that makes us realize we still have tremendous work to do. Uh, There are so many signs of progress uh, from over the last 50 years, but we're still having fundamental conversations about opportunity, about educational access, about economic disparity, about uh, the, uh, the struggles that too many people have just to live a decent life, and I think Dr. King would would probably give us um, uh, some, some, some words would certainly give us some words of inspiration about the work that has been done, but without question challenge us to recognize that we have not done everything we need to do as a society in order to situate all people on equal footing. Uh, and it's, it's very interesting how uh, even in recognizing that we've made progress, I think the last uh, three to five years has demonstrated that that work is relentless. Mm. And if you take your eye off of it, if you get complacent, it's easy to backslide. And that slide down is is a, is not very far to where we can be uh, back in situations back in moments where we're not always proud of who we are as a people and that happened uh, that happened in the George Floyd murder and so many others uh, and I would challenge people to think about as they continue to reflect on King Day to think about What will people 50 years from now say about us and our culture in this particular era? In the same way that we we look at eyes on the prize videos and black and white videos of some of the some of the um, uh, embarrassing moments of our country. We've had some recently as well. And so we have to reckon with that. And in order to reckon with that we have to uh, look closely within ourselves look at our structures look at our systems and continue to question and challenge and push to have them modified changed and revised such that everybody has is treated with respect and dignity and has a legitimate chance to live a decent life in this country
0: looking kind of toward young professionals who are in leadership spaces and entering there in order to like make a better and brighter future and and act on some of these things you're talking about like what is your advice to those that are in the leadership space but new like how can they work toward this
4: absolutely I'm, i'm glad so glad you mentioned that because uh one of the areas that one of my priorities is to uh rejuvenate uh the group of young professionals at the museum, which we call the keepers of 306 mm-hmm. in reference to room 306. And it's a young professional leadership group. And I have uh, begun meeting with the, uh, with the officers of that group to discuss how we can be more intentional about involving mm-hmm. them. And so we're going to launch uh, an opportunity for young professionals and young leaders in this community and young people in general to engage at the museum uh, with a bl- starting with a uh, program during Black History Month. And I think about that as so important because at the end of the day, it was young people who led and drove and made the difference in the movement. And it's gonna be the young people who dictate what those next 50 years in this community and mm-hmm. beyond are going to look like. So we have to treat them uh, with respect. We have to have confidence in them. We have to allow their challenges to us and hear them with, uh, with open ears. And we have to situate them at the table where important decisions are made for our community. Uh, having spent as much time as I have on the college campus, I love being around young people. I feed off of their energy. Uh, I feed off of their, uh, their creativity. And they have, a, they have an interesting uh, and distinctive lens in which they see the world. And they're not limited by some of the... Uh, they're not limited around the possibilities mm-hmm. of what can happen. And uh, obviously programs and opportunities that the New Memphis Institute provides is a great vehicle in which to uh, catapult young emerging leaders. Uh, but I would also say... I would I would um, challenge people who are more senior like myself to uh, to give the keys to the car to the young people. We have to begin to situate them earlier so that they can learn and grow and make mistakes and push to so that when they are ultimately running this place, running this city, running this state, running this country, that they are prepared and they are confident and their value system is allowed to emerge such that uh, we can be better.
0: That was an amazing answer. I could not have asked for a better one, quite frankly. Um, Just because you speak to it with such passion, you can really tell that you're not just saying these words, you believe inherently everything you're saying. And I love that so much.
4: Thank you.
1: Well, Dr. Russ Wiginton, we're thrilled to have you here today. I'm so, I'm so excited still that you are, um, you've ascended into this role. I think that the National Civil Rights Museum is in excellent hands. I know you're going to be a, a terrific steward of that work. So for anybody listening who wants to get more involved in the museum, learn more about the programs, visit, become a member, become a donor, where can they go?
4: 450 Mulberry Street, <laughs> civilrightsmuseum.org. Uh, there's opportunities for people to uh, connect. We have uh, amazing employees. One of the things that, um, that I even to this day talk to uh, Terry Freeman about, my, my predecessor, is uh, the kind of talent, expertise, and passion that the employees at the museum all the amazing have amazing team, mm-hmm. and and when you when you reach out, we have a we have a can do spirit. So anybody who's interested in engaging, anybody who has creative ideas, we welcome those offers, uh, and we will create space for you to be involved and feel a part of the museum in a meaningful way.
0: I will also say, if you are a business leader an organizational leader listening right now you can also get tours set up to go through the national civil rights museum and i will say that was uh, my first week at new memphis it was actually our team um gathering that we had and i'd obviously been before i had never had like a led tour and it is a completely different kind of experience and one that like i still haven't forgotten and i've been here for three years so i'd just like to add that if you're listening that's right check that out too
4: The corporate community here is uh, great supporters of the museum. Uh, We are uh, very uh, excited about uh, an emerging opportunity in which we will uh, we will be engaging more intentionally corporations locally and nationally Mm -hmm. for uh, trainings and opportunities to partner with the museum. So uh, we've got a lot of work to do but I couldn't be more excited and and feel more fortunate than to be in the position I'm in now.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, I agree with Anna. They're in good hands with you.
1: (laughs) Congratulations again, and best of luck in all of your amazing endeavors for this year.
4: All right, thank you so much. Thank you, Russ. Bye.
1: Us up for our first episode back, or I, sh- I keep saying yeah. I actually had well, it is before. your it is your it's first, my episode, first back. episode back. And um, I am the star of my own movie,
0: so <laughs> in my world, this is the first we are all just the supporting actors. Um,
1: big thanks to our guest today and all of the exciting things that they shared. I will say, as we are kicking off a new year at New Memphis, I want to call out that this is the time of year where we start to just welcome everybody in the community to sign up, uh, apply for our leadership programs here at New Memphis. Um, We typically get those kicked off uh, in the early spring, so uh, if you are a young professional, somebody in their 20s working in the community, uh, I hope that you will consider our Embark program. It is um, a... That three and a half month experience that takes you from investigating your own personal leadership capacity, figuring out how to be the best leader that you can be, but it also is infused with an education on our community, how you can both be a leader in your organization and your business, but also an effective leader and change maker in our community. Uh, And then I will say that we're also starting a new fellows class uh, in April. We're taking applications for that right now. So if you are listening and you are a mid-career professional, somebody who is already leading in our community, but is interested in sort of taking that next step, um, really thinking about how to uh, enhance your leadership, but also again, learn about Memphis, connect with other leaders across sectors. So if you are interested in any of those programs, you can go to newmemphis.org learn about all of them. Uh, Links to apply are there. We are excited to welcome new folks into those programs this year and we'll be telling you about more of them as we get into this month. Christy, anything else today before we close out? I
0: think we're good. Like uh, Anna mentioned, you can go to newmemphis.org to learn more about our programs and how you can become a glorious member of our network, quite frankly. Um, And also, while you're there, if you are interested in donating back to our work, I know we're coming off the end of year, where I I hope most of you gave your lovely gifts to New Memphis. And Um, if you didn't, it's not too late. Yeah, it's never too late. Guys, New year. New opportunity for you to give. Um, so you can give there, but also be sure to be following along with us on all our social channels at The New Memphis so you can keep up with what events we have coming up on the horizon. Because let me just tell you, our team is working away at getting that calendar ready to display to you. So with no further ado, I think that does it for today. This week's episode was made possible by our friends at Independent Bank. You can learn more about them at i online dot com.